Max Politics here on WBAI Radio. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette here for another great show on New York City politics and government. We're continuing to focus, though, today on the election cycle that is upon us. In just a minute, I'll be joined by my first guest of three this hour. I'll shortly be joined by Stu Lozier, who is a former top aide to both Senator Chuck Schumer and Michael Bloomberg when he was mayor. And Stu Lozier is now now runs his own consulting company and has been involved in a couple of elections this election cycle. And we'll talk to Stu about some of his takeaways from the election cycle that is still ongoing and what he's watching for next. Stay tuned after that in just a little bit. We'll bring back to the show Neil Quatra, also a political consultant with a background in government. And Neil has been involved in some of the labor work behind Eric Adams's mayoral campaign. So he'll talk about the uh, success, at least thus far, of Adams's campaign and the and how labor played into that. And then larger takeaways from Neil Quatra when he joins me in just a little bit. All right, let's welcome to the st- show right now Stu Lozier, who is a longtime political uh, consultant, expert, aide in government. Uh, Stu, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you uh, are the founder of Stu Lozier and Co. And you used to be a top aide for for Mike Bloomberg's mayoralty. You've also worked for uh, Senator Chuck Schumer. You've advised campaigns. You've worked on campaigns. Uh, we are in the midst of uh, this uh, campaign, which of course had to take another turn with the Board of Elections issues. Before we get into some of this year's uh, campaigns, the Board of Elections, you have you had some experience working for Mayor Bloomberg dealing with the Board of Elections, of course. Why has it been so resistant to change? What has gotten in the way of making this agency run better? Albany, in a word. Albany is in. There, there are there's few, we found that there were few, if any, issues in all of New York State that had as strong bipartisan, bicameral support in Albany as the support for the status quo in managing elections does. Simply, no one was interested in having a serious conversation about changing it. No one, certainly on the legislative side, was interested in having a serious conversation about it. It's, it's a system that has developed and protects the people who uh, are the only ones who have any power to change it. So, barring anything exceptional, which we may be at right now, we may not be. It's extraordinarily difficult to change. Mm-hmm. And we we seem to we seem to do this dance over and over again, uh, where where there's major issues with election administration, and and people say, oh, this has got to be the the straw that breaks the camel's back. Do you think this is a moment like that, or do you think this will fade as well, and we won't really see major reforms? Look, I mean, I I I, I want to say, a I think that the a lot of the men and women who work at the boards of elections in individual counties, obviously, like most public servants, are dedicated people who are trying to do a good job um, and who are, are, are sort of set up by a bad system. Um, do I think this is going to be the straw that beats the camel's back? I mean, it seems big to us right now. Um, mm-hmm. It also seems like it is the weekend before a holiday. We are 
as of today, we are more than six months from the new mayor being sworn in. As of tomorrow, we'll be just at six months from the new mayor being sworn in. It doesn't seem like we're going to have any real longstanding urgency that is going to last. Um, and, you know, it, it would be great if something changed. But really, the only one well, the only ones who can fundamentally change the Board of Elections are are, are lame duck candidates. Um, Someone who, who who's able to apply public pressure and, and and political savvy and will never be running an election again, or or whose wife will never be running an election again, um, and we don't have that kind of person in New York. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, we we saw something of an encouraging statement out from uh, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins today. We'll see. I'll have uh, State Senator Liz Kruger, who has a bill to at least professionalize the Board of Elections. Uh, State Senator Kruger will will join me later in the show, so we'll get more of more of a sense of the appetite for change in Albany uh, a little bit later today. So, Stu, uh, let's talk about this election cycle that we're in the middle of here in terms of the races and the candidates. A um, couple high-profile races you've you've worked on. Uh, I want to talk mostly about the mayoral race, but you worked on the Manhattan District Attorney primary with Tali Farhadi and Weinstein's campaign. She's in a fairly close second place after in-person voting to Alvin Bragg. What do you think about the prospects of absentee ballots in that race? I mean, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of anyone. I, I will say that um, Tali is a remarkable individual who has had, had little to any public profile uh, before running, um, much like Ray McGuire, um, uh, ran in a, uh, an incredibly crowded field with a lot of other uh, really extraordinary or at least remarkable candidates, uh, men and women, a lot of, a lot of uh, deeply impressive women. Um, and as you said, um, the, the, the votes right now have her uh, in, a, in second by not... By 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 a significant but not incredibly large margin. Um, so like even the status quo of where we are now is uh, is uh, is, uh, is 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 really a remarkable thing for her to have done. Mm-hmm. And any sense of the absentee ballot universe out there? Uh, you know, I I, I can. Um, I don't have any. You know, I don't have much of a sense of in in in, in, uh, in 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 things to change. I presume that with people counting absentee ballots in all five counties now, that showed that the absentee ballots were voting in a way that's extraordinarily different than election day. That is something we would have heard from Team Adams or whoever else would, would benefit from that. It's not something mm-hmm. we heard. Um, it's not. This is not an observation based on fact. It's just an observation based on on having not heard out of. Adams and other campaigns um, that there's a okay. in the mayoral race you just mentioned you you worked with Ray McGuire's campaign uh, what what's your general assessment of why that campaign didn't wind up uh, taking off um, it was a hard time to launch a campaign again for somebody who had um, little um, little uh, little to no name recognition um, it was um, it was a hard time to it was a hard time to launch it was a hard time to campaign. Uh, in a winter, and Ray did not get into this race until the winter, and it was a winter in which you could not go indoors and talk to people, and you could not go outdoors um, because it was it was winter time. Um, so it's a hard time to campaign in person. Um, and uh, there are um, there were, I mean, you know, that that's one factor, and there are other factors like um, at least one other candidate appeared to have a deliberate strategy of 
starving the oxygen out of the room, um, making himself the center of attention and making himself, uh, in, you know, acting to, 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 to make every day his or his to win or lose. That is a reasonable and familiar campaign strategy of <laughs> trying to make it all about, uh, about, about oneself and have other people not gain traction. Uh, in this case, it didn't work for him and it didn't work for, uh, candidates who weren't able to break through. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, 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 it worked best for the candidates who were appealing to broad, broad, broad swaths of New Yorkers. Um, the, obviously, Eric Adams, who's in the lead, or at least we believe to be in the lead, um, is uh, a candidate who was least reliant on social media and social media buzz to 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 um, to uh, get attention. He had a long history of working with people and was known. Um, you know, he, he's, Known known in the public eye since the mid '90s and or even earlier, um, fighting on important issues. So, um, hard race for an outsider to win. Mm-hmm. And a, and a crowded race. I mean, that you know that that's that's an interesting part of uh, well, both the races we just discussed, Manhattan district attorney and mayor, but the mayoral race especially. You had um, you know eight very strong sort of top tier candidates with interesting and diverse profiles. Uh, obviously, your reference there to to Andrew Yang's campaign. Um, so let's zoom out in in the mayoral race. Four or five and four and four or five of them running as a deep dark blue, but not uber progressive. Um, candidates, which is which is obviously what a accomplished business person, the longest serving uh, leader of a Wall Street bank in Wall Street history, is going to run as. It's not as if he is the um, he is the only person with credibility on Wall Street or in the business community who who, who was running. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so in terms sorry, of the bigger bigger themes and turning points in this mayoral race. Um, if, if, if you're zooming out here and again, we still have to see the absentee ballots. I, I thought by the time, by the time we'd be speaking today, we might, uh, might have seen the, uh, the actual, uh, rank choice runoff, the corrected version of the in-person votes, but we haven't gotten there yet. The board of elections is apparently saying sometime today they'll, they'll release that corrected run. But, um, but just from what we know about the in-person tallies, you, you know, mentioned Eric Adams's lead in that vote. Certainly he, he led in, uh, by, a, by a significant margin in the in-person votes, but, uh, but we know we need absentees and, and the ranked choice runoff. Um, but in terms of the biggest themes and turning points of this mayoral race, what do you point to? What do you think made or, or um, you know, set this race on the, on the course that it, that it wound up on to have Eric Adams uh, perform fairly strongly and to have Catherine Garcia and Maya Wiley somewhere within striking distance as we get to those couple of uh, tallies that still need to come? So I'll say two things. One is, if you follow social media and follow sort of the conventional wisdom of New York politics, you would think that um, most voters are ideological. Was exacerbated this year by uh, the inability we talked about before, the, how much harder it was to campaign in person, which means you spent more time going to candidate forums, um, particularly since you didn't have to show up, you didn't have the normal reasons that you have working on a campaign, and, and as you've noted, I've sort of been working on, for, uh, had a hand in mayoral campaigns in New York City uh, since 2001, you can't possibly be in southern Brooklyn and northern Manhattan and the Bronx and Staten Island the same night. Now you could. So you have two people, uh, people, people, candidates spending a lot of their time talking to 40 people at an event, 
Um, most of whose minds were already made up, or many of whose minds were made up, a small number of reporters, and that's it. Um, so you, you, um, you know, as ever, people vote on quality. Most voters vote on quality, not ideology. As ever, the ideological voters are disproportionately loud, um, disproportionately heard from. That's almost by definition what it means to be an ideological voter. And the structure of this campaign, the, 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 the digital nature of it, the Zoom nature of it, uh, exacerbated the emphasis that you have on ideological voters. I don't mean the ideologues in a pejorative way, but people who are talking about one or another set of issues. Um, like virtually all the candidates for mayor, virtually all the candidates for Manhattan district attorney uh, came out in favor of uh, legalizing prostitution. Um, not all, but most of them did, uh, including Andrew Yang. Um, well, a majority of them did. Um, not probably, you know, um, which is, which is, you know, not a, um, by any stretch of the imagination, an, an issue that all, most New Yorkers really care, care about at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, 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 that is, that's a that, that's a big factor we we dealt with this year. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of the key turning points in the race, are there moments you'd point to, or is it more trends you'd point to uh, other than what you just mentioned? Were there, you know, yeah. obviously the the allegations against Scott Stringer that changed the course of the campaign, quickly followed by you know the New York Times endorsement of Catherine Garcia, or a couple of mm-hmm. seemingly conjoined ones that come to mind. What else? So, I mean, you know, I think it, it goes without saying, but most, but many candidates don't always seem to remember it. So I can say it. it's like in a multi-party race, in a seven or eight-party race, psychologically, I believe, you know, voters have um, a lot to think about. Most, most for most people, voting isn't paramount in their mind. Um, so when you have an eight, seven or eight-party race, uh, you, you, you the natural thing is to think. Who can I eliminate from my thinking? Well, not that person. Um, that is that was the effect of Scott Stringer, who offered broad policy ideas, but like this, but the but the Gene Kim allegations made it possible for people to just erase him from contention. Mm-hmm. So obviously that was an effect. It was an effect not just because it was an event, but it was an effect because of the, the, the overall tendency to try and reduce for the overall human tendency to try and reduce your choices. Um, but again, people vote on quality. It's not, you know, we're, we're all Democrats. We're all variations on, 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 on themes. There are important policy differences in all the races. Yes. And if you focus on that, yes. But it is not, it, it is not a, a, a general election choice. Um, people vote on, people generally vote on quality. So Andrew Yang um, giving a speech about being endorsed by or standing with a police officer and not understanding fundamental aspects of uh, police reform was a major event in New York. Andrew Yang, the video coming out, uh, the video that came out about him at the Stonewall Democratic Club, uh, pandering, not just pandering to voters, but pandering in a way that, that, that so infantilized the Democrats, the, 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 the people he was speaking to. Oh, gays, you're our, the Democrats' secret weapon. There's so many of you in power throughout the Democratic Party. It, it's amazing that we ever lose anything. I mean, that's when he said, it's like you are a secret weapon, except you're not secret. It's like, if you honestly, if this is your reaction to asking LGBTQ clubs for your support, then I'm not going to hire you to figure out a better way to pick up our trash or anything else. You, 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 you are, you are not showing yourself to be an intelligent individual. You're not a, you're not a quality product and it's not what I'm going to buy in my next mayor. 
And in our final minute here, Stu Lozier, um, the, this, say a little bit more about this question about ideology, because I, I think this has been one of the most interesting and maybe mischaracterized part of this this campaign, because, you know, you saw so much of Manhattan wind up going for Catherine Garcia, for example, where seemingly, the, you know, the New York Times endorsement really buoyed her, her chances there. And even, uh, you know, my conversation last week with Mara Gay of the Times editorial board, she said, you know, Catherine Garcia is not quite as progressive as our as our board, but we, you know, we liked other other things about her her candidacy. Right. Um, yeah, go ahead. We, we we saw that overwhelmingly. I don't mean to interrupt you since we have a limited amount of time. Like Please. we saw that overwhelmingly, people voted for the non quote unquote progressive again. New York progressive, super progressive people. We're all super progressive, but the, by far the, the you know the ones who are not defining themselves as the most progressive in any race. That, that is by and large not what won the mayor's race and by and large contrary to what you hear on twitter not what you hear on on on, on in the city council races the, the 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 most progressive groups only endorsed six candidates of whom two won and they stayed out in my district in district 11 in the bronx on the northwest bronx um the the establishment democrat uh, was was backed by all the unions and the 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 self-proclaimed progressive democrat was wonderful lovely person um who shares a, a violin teacher with uh who can share a violin teacher with one of my kids um didn't even get the dsa and the poor endorsement because they they for whatever reason though she's defining herself as a, as a, as the only true progressive in the race um overwhelmingly people are voting against it this is this is a tendency that we saw in midterm elections we saw in 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 in, in the presidential election and we've seen it now we saw it in the cuomo nixon race we see with it's a race it's a tendency we see Again and again, a the more that more people who vote, the more early voting you have, the more people who the, the additional people who vote tend to be less capital P progressive because if they were capital P progressive, they'd probably already be super prime voters who vote no matter what. When you extend voting access, what you're actually doing, which is a great thing, what you're actually doing is getting less ideological voters in one and two. The voters just aren't as ideological as people think they are or as what you would think by listening on Twitter. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we appreciate those thoughts, Stu Lozier. Uh, it's, it's great to have you on the show. We're going to have you back once right, we cool. know a little bit more about how this mayoral race actually no. uh, actually shakes out in the end. Uh, Thank but you. thanks so much for the time. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Stu. And we're happy to bring back to the show now Neil Quatra, the founder of Metropolitan Public Strategies, former chief of staff in the New York Attorney General's office, former political director at the New York Hotel Trades Council and other roles. Neil, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. I don't know if you caught any of uh, what Stu was saying there at the end. And, and I, if you did, I imagine you might want to respond to, to any of it, uh, you know, him, him talking I, a little. I didn't catch it. I caught the beginning of the conversation, but I didn't catch the end. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh, so, so, I'll, so I'll come back on that. But um, you, you had a bit of a role in this mayoral race, um, which is what we want to focus on in our time together today. Um, sure. what, what, what's your role been here in this primary where, um, you know, we're still, we're still waiting on the right uh, initial uh, preliminary ranked choice voting runoff, and we're still waiting on the absentee ballots to be counted before another ranked choice runoff uh, tally. But, um, but we're, we're, the votes have been cast. Uh, what, what's been your role here? 
Well, I spent most of my time this cycle um, running the Hotel Trades Council uh, independent expenditure, which focused on the mayoral race where the union um, backed Eric Adams, um, the comptroller's race where they backed Corey Johnson, and about a dozen council races um, across the city. Um, so that was the focus. Um, the Adams uh, uh, portion of the uh, uh, vehicle was sort of, you know, the most uh, um, resourced and where most of the attention was paid. Um, so it was a big top of the ticket focus, but we also did a bunch of down ballot work as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, the union was one of the first, I think the first union um, in early March to endorse uh, Eric, um, followed by, I think, 32BJ and DC 37, which, you know, is a very unique um, uh, alliance. I mean, in in the 10, 12 years I've been doing you know, New York City politics, those three unions have very rarely sort of coalesced um, as quickly as they did in this race um, and often have been, you know, not for any particular reasons, but, you know, on opposite sides of these kinds of primaries. And so to have all three of them together, I think, was really impactful. Um, and in terms of the HTC uh, uh, effort, you know, we they did obviously on the campaign side a lot of member mobilization. We weren't able or not allowed to obviously communicate at all. So we focused most of our paid media efforts um, on, you know, TV, streaming, digital, um, and with a particular focus on um, Latino voters. Um, We did a lot of Spanish language um, engagement on digital streaming and linear TV with Univision and Telemundo. Um, So there was a big focus on... Latino voters who we, from our research, saw as a very pivotal swing group. We sort of had a sense that the campaign, you know, knew what they were doing in terms of the base of, of Eric's vote. So we spent a lot of time um, on Latino voters and, and older voters writ large um, in the diverse communities where, you know, we, we knew his vote uh, needed to come out. But it was a lot of, uh, a lot of that focus um, uh, on the top of the ticket. Uh, very interesting. I think um, the labor support for Eric Adams that you're getting at has been a little bit of an under discussed uh, theme in part because public safety, policing, crime became such a focus of the campaign. And obviously that spoke so much to Eric Adams's background in the PD and and both his you know expertise on policing, but also his work as a reformer within the department and all of the mix there. But in terms of sort of the, the support and the voters uh, that were also getting him you know, to a very strong place in the race. And again, he could still wind up uh, losing in, in the absentees and the runoff. But, um, but you know, no matter what, obviously a very strong showing in this race. Uh, the labor support, you know, seems to have been a little bit under-discussed. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're discussing it. Um, I agree we're discussing with you. It here. Can, I, I, yeah, I talk a little bit more about what that looked like for, a, for an Eric Adams candidacy and where you think, you know, it paid off as we've seen at least the in-person voting. Sure, sure. 
Well, I think you're absolutely right, and it has been an under-discussed part of his coalition, I think, um, for, for many of the reasons you talked about. But as I was as I was mentioning, I mean, first of all, getting the Hotel Trades Council, DC 37 and 32BJ, on board as early as they did, and to actually, I think, you know, from what I heard happened, there was real mobilization. There was real um, uh, volunteer engagement. There was, and there was real member education done by those unions to their members. So, one of the things that I think people, you know, often don't sort of appreciate fully is when you're in a campaign. We're all sort of listening and, and watching the dominant narrative of, of the news cycle of the day, which is understandable. But if you're a union member and you've been working at your union for a while and doing political action, then uh, the last two weeks of the campaign, I think to hundreds of thousands of union members, supporters that were a part of the Adams Coalition, from hotel workers, housekeepers, janitors, you know, civil servants, for them, they had already been on this bus since March. They were getting a lot of engagement from their union, a lot of communication, a lot of requests to turn out for phone bank shifts, for canvas shifts. So they were part of the team by that point, three months in, right? So it was a very different dynamic, I think. And I think his campaign, frankly, was able to weather some of those issues at the end, partly because they had a very durable base and coalition of organized support. It wasn't ephemeral. It wasn't soft. It was strong and it was deep. And I think the labor movement provided a lot of that, not just those three unions. Others came along, like the TWU and, and you know other unions as well who were a part of that. And I think that organizing and the fact that the endorsements happened so early, which also is rare oftentimes in, in, in races like this. I mean, some unions go early, but these unions both endorsed early, invested early, and then mobilized for months. And I think that was a huge part of, you know, his ability to sustain um, at least, you know, what right now is a, a majority vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, plur- plurality, at least. Um, a plurality, the, correct. <laughs> the, the other part of this that's a little undiscussed is the, 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 the spending that was both from the Eric Adams campaign and the outside spending, a lot of it from labor, but also other sources as well. The the spending behind Eric Adams really did dwarf uh, the second and third place finishers uh, in the initial vote, at least Maya Wiley and Catherine Garcia. How much of an advantage do you think the the money in this campaign was for for Adams. I mean, there was a very significant amount of outside spending, and then the campaign also. You know, he yep. he had ye- years of fundraising, and uh, you know was able um, was among the best funded candidates. Uh, there were others, but they were not in the top three, and he was by far the the highest funded candidate in the top three. Which again speaks to the fact that Garcia and, and Wiley both did quite well without without the the same level of spending as some other candidates. But what role do you think that played? I think it, it, it's unquestionably a part of the equation. I mean, you're right. Eric got something, you know, by my reading of the filings between um, the Students First 
uh, vehicle and and the HTC vehicle. I mean, just between those two vehicles, we're talking about you know about seven million just on TV. Um, you know, that could be streaming linear, but but the combination of the two. And I'll tell you in particular where I think it was impactful. Um, you know, uh, uh, if you look at a lot of the campaigns, especially the Wiley campaign, this was one of the things that 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 confused me about their approach was was they didn't do any Spanish language uh, uh, ads at all. And, you know, when we talk about a pivotal swing group like that, the fact that the Adams aligned efforts spent well over a million dollars just on Spanish language media and TV, at which easily dwarfs the rest of the uh, field, I think, you know, that's where you start to see, you know, the the real, I think, impact of something like those outside vehicles. Mm-hmm. Because in a capped race, if everyone's got around eight, nine, 10 million, you know, the, the, the disparity is not so great. But when you then introduce, you know, another seven or eight million dollars on TV and at least, you know, at least one point, let's just call it one point two on on Spanish language media, which dwarfs everyone else. I think there's definitely, you know, um, uh, some impact there that we can't overlook. No question. And, and Eric Adams clearly uh, has done well in uh, areas of the city with larger Latino populations. So, you know, w- w- there'll be a lot a lot more to continue to dissect. But there seems to be at least some correlation there that you're that you're getting at that obviously also. Yeah. And he also did good organizing, I have to say. I mean, both, you know, the validators that were part of that coalition. from I was just about to talk about Ruben Diaz Jr. and and some others. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I think the campaign did a good job of the grassroots sort of validator engagement that they needed with those voters. But then it was overlaid by real paid media um, that was layered um, and not just TV, but there was digital and I'm sure there was mail. We didn't do any mail, but um, uh, so, yeah, I think that that all that all, you know, mm-hmm. matters in the end. What do you think about how this ranked choice uh, voting is going and how it may, um, you know, it, it may lead to something like, um, you know, an Eric Adams putting putting forth a very strong showing in the you know first place votes, but then having someone like a Catherine Garcia run, you know, this very sort of steady, as she calls it, consensus candidacy and potentially clean up on second and third place votes and potentially leapfrog uh, her way to victory. How, how are you, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen. We're, we're flying right. blind here a bit, but just in terms of the exercise of it and some of the questions that, um, you know, Eric Adams' allies have raised about it, uh, how are you thinking about it as a, as both a, a strategist and someone who's, you know, been obviously um, aligned with the campaign in, in a way? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think we need to obviously wait for the revised ranked choice rounds to be presented. But I think let's assume there's some tightening and, you know, we do have some picture of the absentee universe. I mean, um, from the Board of Elections, assuming, you know, their their data is accurate. But, you know, if we've got about 125,000 absentees there. And the distribution, you know, as I understand, it's about 40,000 in Manhattan, about 33,000 in Brooklyn, about 37 in Queens, and then much smaller numbers in the Bronx and Staten Island, probably like 20 grand combined. Um, You know, if we just look at that and sort of assume, you know, that's going to be the determinative factor, I think if you're the Adams camp, you've got to 
feel pretty good, partly just because of the, the election day performance and, and where the absentees are. Garcia, I think, would have to really run up the score in Manhattan, obviously, and she did well there, and that could be the case. But um, I think a lot is unknown. I don't know, for instance, where in Brooklyn and Queens are these 70,000 absentees from, right? I mean, Garcia mm-hmm. did pretty well against Adams in Brownstone, Brooklyn, and Williamsburg and Greenpoint and, you know, Clinton Hill and Fort Greene and those places and did pretty well in against him in Western Queens. Um, but he did much better, you know, in other parts of Brooklyn and Queens. And so I think, one, you know, without knowing where exactly in the boroughs that vote is, um, you know, there's still a, a little uncertainty. But I think if you're, if you're Adams, you know, given the universe that's out there and given the sort of older, trending nature of these voters, more diverse, that, you know, you've got to feel pretty good. But again, obviously, everything's very fluid. Mm-hmm. And uh, Neil Quatra, uh, thanks for thanks for coming back on the show. Um, what do you what do you think of this criticism? Um, you know, especially from Andrew Yang and his team about um, you know Eric Adams not being vetted until uh, fairly late in the campaign. Obviously, the stories you know that were sort of hitting in the last couple of weeks were were tough. So, in a sense, you know the the tough news cycles for him were coming at the time when. Most people were starting to really pay attention, but what do you what do you make of that criticism that the press was so focused on Andrew Yang and not enough on Eric Adams? I don't really buy it, to be honest. I mean, the truth is there's a rhythm to these races and everybody kind of gets a, a shot, a, you know, their moment in the barrel. And the fact of the matter is Yang got a bunch of scrutiny early on because he had a soft name recognition lead. And there was, I think, rightly, you know, a desire to vet him. And he got vetted. Um, I think the difference with Adams is or the perception of Yang and, and his folks, I'm sure, is that, you know, the kind of scrutiny they got wasn't visited upon Adams. The difference is, you know, Adams did have a long public record that has been reported on over the years, um, a lot of which did get, you know, rehashed and relooked at. Um, uh, you know, I mean, you can always quibble with when did this coverage happen and did it happen too late? I think the fact of the matter is he got a pretty good vetting, too. Um, I don't think it was the press that played, you know, any kind of determinative role really in this race. The thing, one thing I'm sort of, you know, thinking about a lot of given the pairing of Garcia and Yang that we did see, if you study, which I think, you know, some of these campaigns did and some probably didn't, but if you study races like the 2010 Oakland mayor's race, you know, um, a pairing of Wiley and Garcia really would have been quite interesting. And I think a lot more, Mm -hmm. frankly, impactful um, on this race. Um, And if you look at their combined vote, I mean, they're about 41%. Something in the neighborhood of 70 plus thousand more than the potential likely mayor. Um, That is a pairing, you know, similar to what we saw in that 2010 Oakland mayor's race, where the leader of that race was the state Senate president, who was sort of considered more moderate and conservative, but had the most money. And um, Gene Emerging had a strategy of essentially partnering with the other, you know, key challenger in that race and did an anybody but 
you know, the front runner campaign. And and, you know, the, the, the first run results in that race are very similar to the ones we saw here. And look, with ranked choice, you know, as we said, you know, things could still be quite fluid. But I think that I was a little surprised at that. And I think we're likely to learn that there were a lot of Garcia Wiley and Wiley Garcia voters. And it could have also had the net effect of, you know, frankly, neutralizing what I thought was a, a quite effective pushback by the Adams campaign at the end, which I think a lot of people you know, sort of viewed as, as, you know, incendiary. But the reality was that was them mobilizing the base in that moment. And it was smart. Um, but mm-hmm. but that's that's one thing I, I, I wonder about a little bit and, and think about, given, frankly, the performance of both of them. And I saw some people on Twitter yesterday saying, oh, you know, the Yang Alliance really did help Garcia. Well, we don't know that. I think we've seen right. where some of the voting queens is that it may have been helpful. But um I think we're going to, you know, as this thing unfolds, really see what a Wiley Garcia uh, pairing might have done um, if that's what presented itself versus Garcia Yang. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, um, we just have one more minute here, Neil Quattro. But I, I, I agree. And I, I haven't had a chance to interview Maya Wiley yet since the, the votes are cast, but we're working on that. But when I talked to Catherine Garcia a couple of days after primary day last week, I asked her about it. And, you know, she said it just it just didn't come together. She was she was looking to work with other candidates. But the Yang uh, alliance is what came together and, and she didn't divulge too much more. But I do agree that would be that would have been quite uh, interesting. Um, last uh, 30 seconds here, Neil, just any other moments uh, up to this point that you feel like have flown under the radar that were kind of significant moments in this mayoral campaign? Um, I mean, I really think what we touched on, uh, you know, at the beginning was pretty significant was that early labor coalescing around Adams and Adams consistency of message given the sort of dominant, you know, conversation uh, that was top of mind for people, namely quality of life and crime coming off of COVID. I think, I think those were ultimately, you know, hugely important, but definitely much discussed, not much overlooked. But mm-hmm. I think early labor coalescing and Adam's discipline throughout were, um, were, were big parts of this, uh, this potential win for him. All right. Well, we're going to find out a lot more soon, and we will definitely uh, have you come back, Neil Quattro, to, to talk more once we know more. Um, but thanks again for, for the time and breaking down a lot of your, your work and your thoughts uh, with us, and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk with you more soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much All for right, having me, Ben. Then.